0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and in fact, all small business. And it's heard right around the world. Now I hope you all, hope you all enjoyed Thanksgiving with your families and that you've begun this week revitalized, re-energized and ready to go and make a difference. For our part here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, We're in our second year and we'll continue to entertain you with the world's best guests and provide you with the best possible business advice. You know, I I love Thanksgiving and when I sat down to Thanksgiving lunch and gave a toast to the blessings that I have, I realized just how much that I have to be thankful for. So if your business life's been good to you and you've enjoyed some success, please embrace entrepreneurship. And do whatever you can to mentor or perhaps help fund new businesses. They're the future of America and indeed the planet. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been discussing the importance of pricing your products correctly. You know, failing to do this very simple thing is a mistake that a large number of companies, most particularly startups, make. We've spoken about the need to take into account all of the costs that are required to run the business and amortize those costs across the product range, which very few people do. We discussed how important calculating lifetime customer value is when setting a price from your products. And again, very few businesses do that. The other point we made was the need to keep tabs on what your competition's doing for a number of reasons not the least of which is pricing your product. In Time Magazine's Small Business this week, Janine Poppett has a great article, Three Easy Ways to Keep Tabs on Your Competition. As much as it sucks to hear that a customer or potential customer chose to do business with somebody else and not with you, competition's really a good thing for your business. It keeps you on your toes and it motivates you to keep on innovating, creating, and pushing through new ideas. Knowing what your competitors are doing enables you to gain insight into their strengths, their weaknesses, and the threats that they could potentially pose to your business. But it also helps you uncover new opportunities. For example, If a competitor's not doing much to target a particular particular industry vertical, then you might be able to market to that audience. Now, there's really four very simple ways to monitor your competition. Firstly, Google Alerts. Now, they allow you to monitor what people are saying online about your business, and they do it by emailing you a list of articles that mention your company, enabling you to respond if needed, Google Alerts can notify you every time your competitors mentioned online, including all their news articles, press releases they've sent out, blog posts, discussions, videos, the whole box and dice. And you know, best of all, Google Alerts is totally free. There's not much that's free these days, but Google Alerts is great, and it's free. Now, the second effective way to monitor your competition is through social media. Now, this may sound really kind of weird, but you should like your competitors on Facebook, connect with them on LinkedIn, and follow them on Twitter. Be their best friend. Many companies release special deals only on social media, or they offer sneak peeks before they release something new into the market. So if you don't get their updates, you won't have a clue what they're doing. You can also see how they get their fans and followers to interact with them, what types of content they're sharing, and you could get some pretty good ideas from that. There are several social media management platforms where you type in the terms you want to search for and you'll get all the posts and all the tweets that match your search. If you're already using a social media management or a monitoring tool, Simply add your competitors' profiles or keywords. It's easy. The third way to monitor your competitors is to subscribe to competitor email newsletters and offers. Now, chances are that your competitors have an email newsletter sign-up form on their website or on their Facebook page or somewhere. So why haven't you signed up? You'll get to know what types of information they're communicating to customers and to their prospects. Now, a good way to receive the competitor's um, newsletter emails is to sign up for a free trial or make a purchase. Use a a Gmail address so they can't track it. So you'll get classified in their CRM system as a new customer. This is valuable as many companies send your existing customers different content than they do to potential customers. Receiving emails from your Competitors can also help you see things from the perspective of a customer. It's always important to consider points of view that are different than your own. Now, I've often spoken about the importance of checking your competitors' websites every morning, and lots of people think this is weird, but, you know, companies accidentally list all sorts of confidential new products and new initiatives and new marketing campaigns on their website, accidentally. Somebody forgot to give the website guy the eMemo. He didn't get it. He didn't know it wasn't supposed to be public. So if you check competitors' websites regularly, you can often find valuable information before they have time to yank it down. Most most companies put the agenda for their upcoming conference and all their guest speakers on the web. Now, by going through the topics, the agenda, and the speakers, you know, if you're half smart, you can work out what their strategy is going to be going forward. And that can be a very valuable source of competitor intelligence. And all you need to do is just allocate a few minutes each day, and that's all you need. I've also said many times on this program that the key to any successful business is customer service. Price Coopers studies show that customer service is three times more important to success than either new products or advertising and promotion. And it doesn't matter what business you're in. You can be in an online business. You can be a bloody plumber or you can be have a technology business. It doesn't matter. Customer service is the key so determining what a customer wants or is likely to want in the future is a little difficult to predict and you know that can also vary from industry to industry however customer turnoffs are pretty much the same irrespective of what business you're in so let's have a look at three of the biggest mistakes that drive away customers and how we can stop doing the simple things that really piss people off The first mistake we make, and the simplest to fix, is the fail to deliver as promised. If you say that your product or service does all of these fantastic, wonderful things, you've got to deliver that. According to the Consumer Federation of America, the top consumer complaints include misrepresentation of what you're delivering. So in order to be successful, you need to make sure that you give your customers Exactly what you promised them. In order to do this, you've got to make sure your promises are realistic and whoever's responsible for delivering these promises can really do it. You know, I've sat in the corner office. It's really easy for the guy in the corner office to promise whole heaps of stuff that he hasn't checked with the factory floor or the warehouse whether those things can be delivered, but they sound good when you're sending out a press release or creating an ad. The second sure way to have dissatisfied customers is to have a communication breakdown. Nothing makes me more angry than trying to reach a company to ask a question or to you know Maybe I'm making a complaint and getting a customer service representative 7000 miles away who either can't ask answer the question, or can't bloody well speak English or whatever other language I'm trying to communicate with them in. Customers must be able to reach you when they need you. Have an intelligent conversation and get whatever their issue is resolved there and then. Your representative must let them know that you care about them. You're really concerned about what they have to say. Studies have shown that customers' questions, if they're not resolved, over 50% of those customers will stop dealing with you. They'll start badmouthing you everywhere, and no matter what you do, you will not get them back. They won't come back. Now, in a, in a community like the United States, where such a large percentage of people are of some form of Latin origin, you need to offer both English and Spanish. You don't have any choice. And if I'm not sure of the other demographics in the community, but there's probably a number of others that you need to address. Now this issue can be fixed really easily just by giving the customers multiple ways to connect with you, including the phone, email, Regular mail, social media such as Facebook and Twitter. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can get these people to communicate with you, and you need to offer the service in the most popular languages. Now, a lot of people have templates for um, customers' queries, and while, from the company's point of view, they can be convenient, convenient time savers. I don't want to fill in a form. I want to be able to talk to somebody and bitch. So, you give me a form, you're like, you are definitely going to put me offside, and I suggest you're probably going to put most people offside. You need to make sure that your responses are personalised. Your customer service representatives need to be trained in how to convert these customers into dedicated clients and that takes some skill. Doesn't just happen, somebody with a pretty face, a pretty smile and a pretty disposition is not going to satisfy a really pissed off customer. Now we all know that it's five times more expensive to obtain a new customer than it is to retain an existing one. I mean that's common knowledge, been proven over and over again. We also know that advertising, which is becoming ridiculously expensive, is about attracting new customers. So it amazes me how many companies have a substantial budget for advertising, i.e. getting new customers, but little to no budget for retaining existing customers, the ones that are one-fifth of the cost of retaining, who already buy from you who presumably already like you, who presumably already know where you are, who presumably already know how to find you. Why the hell wouldn't you focus on them? Now, now there's no question that new customers are essential to business growth. You've got to have them. But under no circumstances should you put new prospects ahead of existing clientele. Gartner Group studies indicate a 5% increase in customer attention, five. That's one, two, three, four, five. 5% increase in customer attention can increase profits by up to 125%. So 5% increase in customer attention, up to 125% increase in profits. And nobody does it. What are they? Stupid, what is the matter with you? Unfortunately, many companies spend a lot of time promoting their services to new customers, such as giving special introductory discounts, but they don't think about rewarding those who have been loyal throughout the years. This result really cheeses people off, and it can be customers who feel unappreciated and take their business elsewhere. I hate it when I get a notice in the mail saying, this week, half price to new customers. So new customers get it half price. I've been going to the place for five years. i got to pay full price. That really cheeses me off. So that's a good way to lose business. Again, this, pro- this problem's got a real easy fix. Offer free shipping and special discounts to new customers. That's a good idea. That'll grow your business but be sure to balance those promos with offers to existing customers as well. How about a loyalty program, a VIP sales offer, or other special events to keep current customers happy little campers and feeling appreciated. Remember, in tough times, it's your existing clientele that will ensure your business stays in business. The stupidest mistake you can make in business is to ignore loyal customers. Now, don't forget this program is all about you. The entrepreneur a small business person that is listening to the show, looking for tips on how to be more successful. It's not about me, it's about you. This is what we are here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs So if you have a topic that you would like to discuss or an email with a specific question that you'd like answered, please don't hesitate to send me an email, bob at bobpritchard.com. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com. If you send me an email, we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. I'm Bob Pritchard, and after the break, I will talk with my guest, John Scholl, the guru of customer service. I'll be back in just a moment.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? The bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. To the Bob Pritchard Radio
1: Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we, we talk to the most successful and most insightful people in their field across the world. My guest today is John Scholl. Now, he's called the Guru of Customer Service by USA Today, written up in Time and Entrepreneur Magazines. He's the author of six best-selling books an internationally recognised service strategist and he's president of the Service Quality Institute, which is the global leader in customer service. For the last 31 years, John's solely focused on helping organisations drive a service culture and create a customer experience through his technology, which is built on practicality, simplicity and plain common sense. With his credibility and focus on empowerment and the power of the social media, he has the ability to emotionally communicate the power of the service strategy from top executives to the total workforce. John's message is based on common sense, as I said, built around his 41 years in designing training programs and developing a high-performance workplace. John's technology and books are in 11 languages, represented in over 45 countries, and 90% of the Service Quality Institute's business is international. That's a fair sort of a record. John, pleasure to have you aboard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Bob, great to be on your show. Now, traveling the world, as both you and I do, you know, I, I always think of American customer service as a long way ahead of any other country on the planet. Um, but I understand there's uh, still some chinks in the armor. Why do you think that customer service is weak in the U.S.?
2: I think that most CEOs, most top executives, believe that they already provide incredible, awesome customer service. I agree. Here's the interesting thing. If we asked your listeners to just identify five companies they work with that provide incredible, unbelievable customer service, every time they interface with them. I suspect many of the listeners would have trouble identifying five. However, 98% of all companies in this country believe they do provide that level of service.
1: Yeah. I give a lot of speeches, as do you, and one of the questions I ask an audience and it's, it's really interesting because it backs up what you've said. I'll get a thousand people in the room and I'll say, hands up everyone who has been and done business with somebody in the last week where they have had awesome customer service where they walk out saying, wow, that was fantastic. And you know, in a room of a thousand people, you get about two hands.
2: <laughs> so, so it's frustrating for me. Uh, I wrote a book called The Customer's Boss. This is a number of years ago, and the objective was to get the consumer, the, the customer, to complain, to let people know when they have bad service. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons companies provide crummy service is that nobody ever lets them know. They just gave up on it. Yeah. Now, the problem with social media for companies is today a guy can go onto Facebook and say, Man, I was at XYZ, the service sucks. Da 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 da, and now 2,000, 4,000 people hear about it within 24 hours. So companies no longer today can get away with it, but uh, we live in an environment where they don't understand that their customer service is pretty weak. I think there's a lot of arrogance in the United States.
1: Well, you don't find, we haven't found a huge uptick in the number of companies that are hiring speakers that talk about customer service. Do you? you? You know. I
2: think it's a low priority for most companies. Customer yeah, service is something they did ten years ago.
1: So, um, everybody talked. You know, for as long as I can remember, um, everybody talks about the importance of customer service, um, and yet nobody seems to do much about it. And you believe that's because most companies believe that they really do give great customer service already.
2: That's one reason. And the second reason is that top management does not understand the power of the service strategy. They don't realize how money can fall from the sky yeah. if they can build a business around a customer experience. So if you look at Amazon, $41 billion in revenue, yeah. 41% increase in sales last year, a 40% increase in revenue the year before. Uh, Everything at Amazon is built around the customer experience. Look at Apple, the most valuable Absolutely. company in the world. Sales per square foot of $7,000, the highest sales per square foot of any retailer in the world, $35,000 at their Fifth Avenue store. Nobody wants to copy Amazon or Apple. They make too much money. Okay? I think the interesting,
1: so, the interesting thing is to walk into an Apple store is really a pleasure, isn't it? I mean, you walk into an Apple store and... and there's people that can help you, they're intelligent, they know what the hell they're talking about. Everything's built around
2: the customer experience. When Fantastic. you walk in they ask your name, they put it on an iPad. What you don't know, Bob, is that they describe what you're wearing. So let's say you're gonna you have a meeting at the Genius Bar and they say, uh, Mr. Shaw, we can get you in at two twelve, okay? And yep. you might be in there for about five three, four minutes and somebody's gonna walk up to you and say, John, uh, it'll be just a few more minutes before we get you in. And you're looking around saying how in the heck did they know that was me? But they used a simple thing called technology called an iPad and they described what you were wearing, but they had the understanding, they had the understanding they're in the customer experience business. Everything is built around the customer experience. So what I show companies is that if you really focus on this service strategy, if you create this incredible customer experience revenue, Falls into your hands faster than you've ever seen it before, and that's where CEOs do not understand. They they spend a fortune on advertising, uh, they spend a lot of money on store renovations, but they don't understand what it, the magic is when the customer walks in on the phone, in person, and they experience heaven.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more to customer service. I think a lot of companies think their customer service is great because, you know, somebody walks into the store and they don't have to wait more than five minutes before they're approached or, you know, they deliver within five days or whatever, which they believe that is great service. But today, you know, one of the things that really annoys me is when you talk to somebody and they say, we'll be out next Thursday. Well, what time are you coming? Well, sometime between 7am and 2pm. I jeez, mean, that really bugs me. So there's a lot more to customer service than just being quick and efficient, getting the person in and out of your store or in and out of whatever you know, it is. You
2: know, it's really part of it is the ease of doing business. Do you yeah. have hours that are convenient to the customer? Do you have a live call center where you call and somebody's going to answer the phone in one or two rings and they're highly intelligent, they know what they're doing, and, and they can carry it through? <laughs> You know, there are so many firms that don't want to compete with an Amazon because they have technology designed so that there's no way to ever talk to somebody. And yeah. sometimes there's an order wrong. Sometimes things just didn't go right. But many of these firms don't want to talk to a customer. Many banks have uh, IVR. They don't want to talk to humans. They're open at banker hours. So it, it's convenience. It's speed. It's the customer care Uh Too many organizations, Bob, have dumb rules, dumb policies, dumb procedures that irritate customers. They increase the cost of operation. They have no value, and they alienate the customer. So it really starts with, is your business to be an airline, or are you in the customer experience business? Southwest Airlines understands they're in the customer service business. They just happen to be an airline. Yeah, that's right. Delta Airlines, Continental U.S. Air, they are in the transportation business.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, what's the strategy that a firm has to use to develop a great uh, customer service culture?
2: There's about seven, eight things. Number one is you got to understand it's a strategy. And as yeah. soon as you forget fo- to focus on the strategy, you're you're screwed. Number two. You got to look at all the policies and procedures and systems that just have no value, that cost you money, that alienate the customer, eliminate them. Number three, you got to be far more careful about who you hire. Yes. Uh, the service leaders hire one out of fifty, maybe one out of a hundred, but they don't hire one out of two or one out of three. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for example, it's harder to get a job at Apple's Fifth Avenue store than it is to get into Harvard. Wow. And so the selection is very important. Number four, you gotta have empowerment. Empowerment means that every single employee has to be able to make a fast decision on the spot to take care of a customer to the customer's satisfaction. They gotta be able to bend the rules and not bump it up, but to be able to instantly take care of the customer. And then next is you gotta educate and train the entire workforce on the art of customer service with something fresh and new every four months. We gotta get away from the school that I took a course in customer service 15 years ago and I know that George remembers what he went through. Yeah. And most organizations have a 20-25% employee turnover rate, so if they gave the training 15 years ago, uh, there's little chance anybody really has been trained. And the other reason, by the way, we don't want to train the total workforce is we know by the time I train George, he's gonna leave, so I'm better off having just dumb people working for me. <laughs> but you have, you have to, You have to have short interventions, constantly keep it in front of the guy so that when somebody walks through the door, he's got, I'm in the customer service business, and he's been trained on the art. Athletes, right now, if you look at football, they don't, between the games, they don't sit on the... On their hind ends they're into basic training and they don't do a special play they're into fundamentals and fundamentals yeah and what we need to do is teach people the fundamentals of customer service on speed on service recovery on remembering and using the customers' names and then the next thing is you need to to measure and track the impact of this stuff because uh, the service leaders know financially where the numbers are falling and they track it constantly yeah uh, so most organizations they just say what well, was fun, but they don't realize the impact. And I'm not interested in whether Sally liked the material. I'm not interested in the customer satisfaction score. What I'm interested in is tell me where the numbers are. What's happening to revenue, to profit, to sales, uh, what's happening to my market share. So at Amazon they measure and they track everything. Uh and they but but Jeff Bezos, you know, when he has a meeting they have a one share left open, which is the voice of the customer. Yeah. Uh, in, when Jeff Bezos started in 1995, they had $511,000 in sales their first first year.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, he asked himself, what's the most important thing, the, the, the desk for me, or the price of a book? He says, it's the price of the book. So everybody at Amazon has a, de- a desk, which is a door with two-by-fours and brackets that hold it up. Uh, the, the frugality at Amazon, their, their goal is to pass it on. And to build the business yeah. and, and, he, and another thing about amazon one of the other things that i teach in terms of the service strategy is you got to be uh... you got to eliminate waste and pass the savings on to the customer. There's too much waste in organizations. So at Amazon, Jeff Bezos said there's two kinds of companies. One that's always trying to figure out how to charge more, that would be a Delta Airlines, American Airlines type of thing, kind of your 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 telephone carriers. And then there's a second one that's always trying to figure out how to reduce costs and charge less. That's what we want to be. And is, that's where Southwest Airlines is. That's where an Amazon is. Is there a certain type of person
1: that you need to hire. I mean, some people um, think that um, giving great service and being beholden to the customer is beneath them. So is there a certain type of person you need to hire if you want to really deliver um, great service?
2: You, you need to look for attitude, somebody that smiles, somebody yeah. that really likes to be around customers, that loves customer service. And you got to ask. You want to watch the body language. You don't. You don't interview somebody and say, "Sally, I'm looking for somebody that loves customers." Sally's going to say, "Well, that's me." "Sally, I'm looking for somebody that really believes in customer service." Sally's going to say, "That's me." Yeah. Okay. So you you got to be able to ask questions and probe and have a variety of different people uh, interview people, uh, so that you're hiring maybe one out of fifty or one out of a hundred. I I just once you hire somebody, it's very difficult to get rid of. Them. Yeah. True. I mean, sure. You got to be very creative to get fired in most organizations in the world.
1: What What's the financial payoff if you, if you've got a company that's got great customer service culture, um, and b- provides a fantastic experience? What's the financial payoff?
2: Uh, number one, the value of the company. I have a twenty five percent premium and a conservative number. Really, that's uh, that's uh, a number huge. Two... Number two, you're going to have far uh, more rapid growth in terms of sales and profits than any of your competitors. The the money actually falls from the sky. I mean, I got all the research on what happens when you focus on the customer experience. Now, here's an interesting thing. Dell built his company around the customer experience, in addition to having great computers and a good price. When Michael Dell originally left the company about... What was it, eight years ago or something like that? Mm-hmm. The value of the company dropped over in half. They've never recovered the value. Wow. Even mm-hmm. after he came back. So you're talking billions and billions of dollars. Uh, look at Netflix. Uh, you know, yeah. a year ago their stock was, uh, $380 or $360 a share. And today, you know it's probably at about 70 dollars a share they lost something like 15 billion dollars in market value you had arrogance at the top you had a a ceo that didn't understand the customer experience he was talking to god every day and he thought he was better than everything yeah uh so once you forget about the customer experience it can be very 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 fatal so
1: you believe of course like all of us do. The frontline employee is so important today that they need to be trained in customer service. But doesn't that also apply to everybody in the company? Because you've got both internal and external customers that you need to, you know, please and, and give equally good customer service, don't you?
2: Every single employee must be trained on the art of customer service with something fresh and new, in my opinion, virtually every four months. Right. We've got to get away from the, the concept that there's this magic commercial, that Coca-Cola is going to run and it's going to be so powerful you'll never need to run a commercial for Coca-Cola again for the rest of your life. There is no magic training program that you can dip Charlie in and he's going to change his entire life. You take this 25-year-old kid He's probably never experienced great service in his life, and you put him through some kind of a course. Let's say it's four hours or eight hours long, and most companies believe that Charlie will have changed his whole life. He, all these habits that were bad will be gone, and he was now going to be a perfect guy. Yeah. And and, uh, and meanwhile, he's encountering all these incidents with customers every day, and he gets worn out. He gets beat up, and, and, and he forgets about that stuff. But if we're paying a football player a million dollars a year, we don't mind putting them into training camp every day for six hours a day. Yeah, true. But we won't do that with an employee that we're paying 10 or $15 an hour to, which is stupid.
1: Now, you, you, you refer to service recovery. What is that, and why is it so important to keeping customers?
2: All of us, Bob, make a mistake. During the day, all of us are going to somehow screw up. Something's going to go wrong in every organization. Yep. Uh, When you just say, I'm sorry, that's nice, but it's not service recovery. Service recovery is how do you take a guy when you've screwed up and he's swearing at you, he's ready to never do business with you again, and flip the situation. So he says, this is the greatest company in the world, all within 60 seconds. So I teach four principles. Act quickly, take responsibility, be empowered, and compensate. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had a problem with your computer. Uh, you bought a brand new computer, you've, you've had all sorts of issues with this thing, and you call up the company you bought it from, and they say, look it, I apologize, obviously, we've fallen down, we promised to have somebody, uh, there at two o'clock today, they weren't there, uh, we're gonna get it solved by tomorrow, but in addition to that, I'm gonna extend your warranty by an extra year for the inconvenience we've cost you. Right. Okay. Now you're gonna say, well, okay, that's not too bad, an extra one year warranty on my computer. What's the real cost? Not much. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe 2% at most of companies in the United States understand how to spell the two words service recovery. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. By the way, Dell does not uh, or Federal Express use service recovery. You'll never see either of them use service recovery, which is somewhat shocking.
1: Yeah, it is. Absolutely. John, it's been great speaking with you. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, Now, if you're listening out there and you'd like to know more, About how to provide sensational customer service and how to devise the strategies to do so. And want to know more about John? Go to John Scholl. That is, let me spell that for you. And I know being Australian accent that (laughs) sometimes it's hard to work out my spelling, but it's T S C H O H L. Let me do that again for you. It's John Scholl. It's T S C H O H L. so you can go to johnscholl.com and find out a whole truckload of information and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short message.
0: Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles where the weather is beautiful as usual. Now, this is the segment where I answer your emails, and because we get emails from all over the world, each week I try to answer at least one email from outside the United States. This email segment is so popular because the answers to the questions that you ask apply equally to entrepreneurs and small businesses, startups, no matter what sort of business you're in. Or no matter where in the world you're lo- located. You know, I give speeches um, all over the world on business, and the questions that I'm asked in Moscow or Sydney or New York or wherever are the same questions. And uh, so if you listen to the answers to the emails, it will give you valuable information for your own business. My first email today is from Simon McTierney. From Austin, Texas, Simon writes, Dear Bob, thanks for your great program. It has been a big help to my business. I also bought your kick-ass audio book, which is terrific. I've started two businesses now and it is so difficult to get a new business off the ground. Do you have any advice for me? Simon, nothing's easy. Being successful in business is bloody hard. So thanks for getting my audio book. I'm sure that it's going to be a big help to you. And uh, don't forget, if you're listening out there and you have bought a copy of Kick-Ass Business Marketing Secrets, either the book or the audio book, if it doesn't change your life and your business life, just drop me an email. I'll refund your money. No questions asked. And you keep the book or the or the audio um book. So can't be any fairer than that. Simon, some of the greatest successes in this world have begun with failure. You've got to persevere. And uh you've got to keep on going when the going gets tough and it seems like it's just impossible. You've got to, if you believe in your product you've got to keep going. Irrespective of whether you got money, if you believe in it enough, you will get money from somewhere. Nan Russell, author of the title, How to Get Things Done When You're Not in Charge, offers a number of examples of people who were deemed failures and then went on to become enormous successes. Albert Einstein was judged to be mentally challenged as a child, and he was told that he would never ever amount to anything how do you reckon that one worked out (laughs) walt disney was fired from the kansas city star because the editor said that he lacked any form of creativity (laughs) go figure that one chester carlson's early xerox machine was rejected by 20 companies before he finally found a business partner thomas edison failed thousands of times before inventing the light bulb. As Edison said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close to success they were when they gave up. Failure is an essential part of success. The trial and error that can lead to greater things. Always keep your failures in the rear view mirror, but keep your eyes firmly on the road ahead. Believe in yourself. Be dedicated, committed, roll up your sleeves, get stuck into it, and eventually you'll succeed. And here's one more quote from Edison to think about. If we all did the things we were capable of, we would astound ourselves. Another another success story that I I just thought of was that um, Bob Dylan, when he sang at his first high school dance, was booed off stage. They said he was atrocious. <laughs> well, there you go. And I'm a Dylan fan. Simon, will send you out a copy of my book, Marketing Magic, which also features Brian Tracy, J. Conrad Levinson, and Robert Bly, which I think is a great read and gives you marketing from a number of different perspectives. I'm going to actually jump to my third email today in case I run out of time. Um I got a, um, an email. I'm just trying to locate it, so talk amongst yourselves while I do that. Last week, I got an email from Jennifer Abrams who argued that it was tougher for a woman in business than it was for men, and I took the stance that well, she was saying that um, not being taken seriously, letting fear stand in the way, wanting to please everybody, women want to try and wear too many hats. Women find it difficult to skite about their achievements. And I, I argued that these things are not confined to any gender. We all face these issues. You just have to be tough enough to break through. I was very interested when I found an article during the week, which said that new, new technology is speeding the growth of women-owned firms. In New York City there's been a sudden surge in the number of fast-growth, scalable companies that are being run by women. In 2011, of the 10 founders of the great companies coming through the Lowenstein-Sandler Law Firms Program for early-stage firms, nine of the 10 were from women but the sheer number and the speed at which women are now leading companies suggests we're witnessing a real sea change in the culture. It's no longer an anomaly for women to lead fast growing multinational, multi-dollar firms. Many believe that the timing is finally here. And entrepreneurship is something that women are now encouraged to do in high school and in college. And you're now seeing women embrace that Concept afterwards in their work life. One difference between women entrepreneurs of today and of yesterday is that they're operating in the internet economy. The reason that most women owned businesses in the past ha- had difficulty is that women tended to start companies in the service and the retail sector. You know, and they top out at maybe half a million dollars or so. The internet is making it much simpler to scale retail companies. This generation of women entrepreneurs is also changing the narrative about what women want. They're creating an identity that is built not around the idea of a career that allows space for a family, but around the picture of a hard-driving woman in the office with a baby in tow. Marissa Meyer at Yahoo, who took a two-week maternity leave, highly publicized on every magazine, is a great example from the corporate world. A generation ago, work-life balance meant fewer hours working. For this generation, it means flexibility. It means using Blackberries iPhones and tablets to stay in touch with the office. This certainly makes it a hell of a lot easier to run a successful business and handle a family. New networking organisations are also popping up everywhere and helping. Men have been able to rely on the old boy network forever. Now, the new girl networks are seen by some as even more powerful you know I belong to a group here in California um, which is an all-male group of very successful business people and it is a phenomenal um, assistance to every guy that's in business and I was um, had lunch with Ken Cragen who was an enormously successful member of metal uh, in the entertainment business, and he's working um, mentoring an all-female group, a national group, and he said that it is just fantastic. They, these women are smart, they're really committed, they really do networking fantastically well, and they are creating su- success stories everywhere. So, I think that will, that'll make a hell of a difference to women advancing in business. And probably the clearest case for the idea that the glass ceiling is cracking, it's the way that success begets success. The number of women on the scene now is going to encourage the next generation, which is larger. That will encourage people At college more. And I think that, um, we're going to get to the stage where women success in business. And as our society adapts to the various changes that, um, all people want, men as well want to spend more time with their families, want more flexible hours. And the more that intrude or is involved in our business, the way we do business, the more successful women and successful guys will have. Now, the second email I got today, that was answering Alison from last week, just an add-on which I thought was interesting. Um, My second email today is from Adriano Rossi from Florence in Italy. I love Florence. It's one of my favourite places in the whole world. It's terrific. I enjoy going there. And um, if you haven't been there, put it on your bucket list. It's worth a go. Adriano says, Dear Bob, I listen to your show on my iPhone because I can listen at any time. That is convenient for me. It is a source of great information. I am an entrepreneur, but I am certainly not an extrovert. Does that affect my ability to run a company? Well, that's not a bad question. Uh, not all um, entrepreneurs are extroverts or born leaders. Um, I think um, depends on whether you're talking about um, being a an inspiring leader or whether you're talking about being a highly qualified, excellent business person. I know um, Richard Branson says that. He's not a CEO, doesn't want to be CEO, can't be a CEO, but he certainly is an extrovert. But he leaves his business, running his business to others. Many people like you with great ideas and who develop a business assume the CEO role when they launch their own company. And as we've discussed before, One of the reasons that many businesses fail is because the entrepreneur CEO who was with it from inception does not know when to hand over the reins to somebody who's better equipped to run the company. Now, because you're a great um, entrepreneur doesn't mean that you can run a company. In fact, far from it. So most entrepreneurs that I speak to first initially um, reject the notion that they won't be a good or aren't a good CEO. They usually say, yes, of course I am, but it takes a certain skill to be a CEO. You also don't need to be an extrovert to be a strong and motivating leader. Many introverts have leadership characteristics that make them very successful. Most introverts are extremely disciplined and they see projects through to completion where many extroverts go off on tangents. Introverts also are quite happy to um, let somebody else take the spotlight and let the results of their management speak for themselves. And that's, that's usually a pretty good way to go. How often do you hear that the person behind the scenes is the one that really makes everything tick? Now surrounding yourself with people who complement your business strengths, that's a must for any leader. It's also very difficult for people to do because people feel like these, um, the people that they hire if they're excellent, are going to somehow take the gloss off them. Uh, I had a multi-billionaire boss once who used to say, never hire anyone that isn't a lot smarter than yourself. Because if you hire people that aren't, aren't smarter than you and don't add an extra dimension to your business, all you can do is go backwards. But most people have a tendency to hire people and surround themselves with people that you like. I like that person. That person likes me. He thinks I'm smart. I'll hire him. You're better off hiring people who don't always agree with you, who are going to give you a strong, vigorous argument about why or not you should do something. Introverted leaders also tend to focus on accomplishing one important goal at a time. A large number of extroverted leaders are easily distracted and that lack of focus can often cause companies to fail. And an introverted leader will usually delegate somebody to investigate the potential of these tangential considerations You know, it might be a good idea, it might not, go and have a look at it, bring the study back to me and I'll make a decision. That way, the person who's leading the ship doesn't get distracted and can really focus on the long-term goals of the company. While the brash CEOs, and there's a lot of them around, i.e. Donald Trump, may grab all the headlines and get invited to address conferences, a lot of them like Donald Trump, crash and burn because they're continuously seeking the next big headline. They're after that next big bit of glory, while the quiet, introverted leader delivers real results. Adriano, we will send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at all good bookstores in Italy and at Amazon. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends, send out messages on Twitter, talk about me in the pub when you're drunk, just tell people to listen and go to my website bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me On Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus and become my friend on LinkedIn. And if I send you out a notice advising you of something that I'm doing, don't send you back, don't send me back a notice saying don't send me stuff. If you become my friend, be prepared. So until the next time next week, kick some butt, enjoy yourself, make a dollar and help an entrepreneur that you know with contacts, with funding, or with mentoring. This is Bob Pritchard. I'll see you again next week.